Hello everybody, I'm Carly Webb and this is the Transporter Room. The convergence of sports, transness, sci-fi, fantasy, gamer, geek, nerd, culture, and other stuff. And this week, a special show. We've got some breaking news and I go one-on-one -on -one with an heir to sporting legend making their debut in the coming week. But before that, Big doings in Tokyo for Team LGBTQ. Now, ever since OutSports has began, every Olympiad, we track what out and proud LGBTQ athletes are doing in that medal count. And we're in the middle of the first full week of competition, and I'll tell you, business for OutSports Team LGBTQ is booming. Right now, Team LGBTQ is tied for 14th in the medal count with Brazil, and Switzerland. Five medals won so far. Let's take a look at who got the goods. Gold medalist Tom Daly of Great Britain synchronized diving. We're still buzzing off this one. He was just a little tyke in 2008 in Beijing. He was that peach fuzz bronze medalist in London in 2012. He was out and proud but disappointed in Rio in 2016 and now He's the man with the golden dives in 2021. More on that in a minute. Silver medalist, Amadine Bouchard of France in judo 52 kilogram class lost a hard fought final to Ute Abe of Japan, but she's taken that silver medal. She's proud of it, but she's already looking ahead to 2024 in Paris. That's her hometown and the site of the next Summer Olympics. Silver congratulations in order for Ali Carta, Amanda Chidester, and Haley McClaney of USA Softball. They lost a tough 2-0 decision to Japan after beating the Japanese in a walk-off three days ago. Now for Chidester, they're going to bring a silver home. Her fiancé Anissa Ertez plays for Team Mexico. They lost a close one in the bronze medal game to Canada 3-2. And... Larissa Franklin and Joey Lai of Canada Softball. Congratulations on your bronze medal after that win over Mexico. And in Team Dressage, congratulations to Carl Hester of Great Britain for his bronze medal. At 54 years young, he's now has a set. The bronze medal he won alongside teammates Charlotte Fry and Charlotte Dujardin will go alongside the gold medal he won on home soil in London in 2012 and the silver medal he won in Rio in 2016. Team USA Basketball got the win Tuesday versus Nigeria. 81-72, Aja Wilson had 19 points. But one has to ponder, if Shanae and Neko Gumake would have been allowed to play for Nigeria, how different a game would this have been? And in women's soccer, a wild day of quarterfinals on Friday, July 30th. The first game, 4 a.m. on the east coast of the United States, Canada against Brazil. At 5 a.m., Great Britain and Australia will start. At 6 a.m., it'll be Sweden against Japan. And at 7 a.m., a rematch of the 2019 Women's World Cup, the Netherlands against Team USA. Quinn, soccer player, Team Canada, has been lights out defensively in this tournament. They are trans and non-binary. Their pronouns are they, them. Alana Smith, skateboarder, United States, taking part as a former X Games champion in the Olympic debut of their sport. Yes, their sport. They are non-binary. Their pronouns are they, them. Broadcasters, you have new sets of pronouns. Learn them fast. Do your homework. And the Olympic Broadcast Service especially. This means you. Don't believe me? Roll the tape. Alana Smith, 20 from Mesa, just east of Phoenix in Arizona. Well, goofy rider. Silver at the X Games in Barcelona made her the youngest medalist ever at 12. So she's really using a different line. It's quite a unique line that she's worked out. I can't believe what I just heard. You know, two journalists who are non-binary and whom I respect very much, our own Brian Bell 
and Brittany De La Creta have been on people's butts the last few days, and rightfully so. Because when you get a pronoun wrong, it is galling. It's, it's a sign of disrespect. And being trans, I feel that disrespect intensely. And admittedly, I've slipped up, made those mistakes. And the non-binary people in my life have put their foot broadside up my butt about it, and rightfully so, and they should. And that is what that is what many of us are doing right now, and many people on Twitter have over the last couple of days. Just a general reminder, get them right, and no one's immune. Not even NBC. The following misgendering is brought to you in living color on NBC. 20-year-old Alana Smith now at the U.S. Skateboarding Press Conference in June. That was the first time she had spoken publicly about their identity as a non-binary person who uses they and them pronouns. So we will make sure we work that in in identifying Alana. Alana has been open about her personal struggles. Memo to Todd Harris and Paul Zitzer. They were the commentators for NBC during this event. And guys, that sequence, that went down like a episode of Hello Larry. It was that bad. But I will give you credit. He came on strong at the finish. A good year and a half, they did not skateboard. Totally checked out. So coming in fresh here, wondering how they're gonna do. And I talked to Alana, and they said, I'm just trying to enjoy the experience. Just a memo to all the broadcasters and all the press, especially NBC, since you are the lead Olympic broadcaster in my home country. Just go back to your traditions. Go back to your roots. What would Chet and David do? They do their homework. They'd strive to get it right. If they got it wrong, they'd apologize quickly, correct themselves, and vow to always get it right from there on. It's this simple. You know better, you can do better. And now, some transporter room shout outs. First, to athletes and allies in West Virginia and Arkansas last week. On the same day that the transgender athlete hit the field in Tokyo for the first time, the trans athlete ban in West Virginia was blocked by a federal judge who laid down an injunction. And that means that a certain little girl in West Virginia can run cross country next year. And in Arkansas, a bill which overrode a governor's veto Banning affirming health care for trans youth was also stonewalled by a federal judge. So right now, a lot of trans youth in Arkansas will receive some affirming care for the time being. Nice going, everybody. Secondly, Luciana Alvarado earns a shout out. Now she's an 18-year-old gymnast from Costa Rica, the first Costa Rican gymnast to compete in an Olympic Games. And during her preliminary floor exercise routine on Monday, she ended it with some flair on a knee with a fist raise. A homage to the Black Lives Matter movement and a nice little workaround against IOC's Rule 50 against political protests. She stated she had done it, according to the Associated Press, because I want to show the importance of everyone to be treated with respect and dignity and everyone having the same rights because we're all the same, we're all beautiful, we're all amazing. No, she didn't make the finals, but you can bet Tommy Smith and John Carlos approve. Thirdly, activist, role model, friend of the podcast, he's here, he's there, Chris Moser's everywhere, and he's on this fun video with Hi-Ho Kids on YouTube where a group of young people are asking him the key questions about being trans and being an athlete. Do you ever get hate for being like a trans athlete? Yeah, unfortunately I do. 
A lot of people say men are bigger, faster, stronger, and better athletes than people assigned female at birth. But we know that's not true. I know lots of boys who can't play sports, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who are awful me at too. playing sports. <laughs> now, if you want to watch the whole thing, we're going to have it for you on our Twitter page and our Facebook page. And last and certainly not least, Tom Daly, along with his teammate Maddie Lee, they are Britain's favorite sons right now. And Daly is a symbol for all of the Rainbow family. Now, there are some, and there's always one, who will say, why make a big deal out of him being gay? Yeah, yada, yada, yada. If you want to know why it matters, why representation matters, I'll let Mr. Daly tell you. And it is a gold medal for Tom Daly. There are more openly out LGBT athletes at this Olympic Games than any other Olympic Games previously. And, you know, I just think, well, I came out in 2013, um, December 2013, and I, when I was younger, I always felt like the one that was alone and different and didn't fit in and wasn't, there was something about me that was always never going to be as good as what society wanted me to be. And I hope that any young LGBT person out there can see that no matter how alone you feel right now, you are not alone and that you can achieve anything. And there is a whole lot of your chosen family out here ready to support you. Um, and I think it's one of those things that I feel incredibly proud to say that I am a gay man that, and also an Olympic champion. And I think it's something that I, I mean, I feel very empowered by that because, you know, it's, when I was younger, I thought that I was never going to be anything or achieve anything because of who I was. And to be an Olympic champion now just shows that you can achieve anything. Representation. It matters. And that brings us to our guest this week. Now, the Olympic Games and the Paralympics in Tokyo will perhaps be the biggest stories of inclusion in sports. But there's another story in the making, and it comes from the world of mixed martial arts. It's been seven years since a transgender competitor has been in the octagon. The legendary Fallen Fox, whose last fight was a win in 2014. Next week in Miami, Florida, an heir to the Fox legacy will enter the ring for the first time. That heir's name is Alana McLaughlin. Now, McLaughlin has worn a lot of hats in her life. She's been an artist, a blacksmith, and a special forces soldier who served in Afghanistan. And now, she seeks as an athlete to carry the Fallen Fox mantle forward and make a statement in the midst of what has been a tough time for transgender Americans. Outsports has learned that Combate Global has confirmed her first fight. It will occur on the card Friday, August 6th, where McLaughlin will meet Francis Salem Provost, who's also making her MMA debut. The card will also be broadcast by Paramount Plus. To get ready, McLaughlin's been in training camp hard at work, but the one dubbed Lady Farrell took a timeout from the training to join us. And we're beaming her up now. Set the coordinates for Miami. Energize. Now, Alana, beaming you up. First, molecule check. No no doubles coming through. No, no, doubles. Double, no doubles coming through. No doubles are good. No doubles are really good. We don't want, like, you know, like Mirror Universe Alana coming through. That's a turf or something like that. That's what we don't Absolutely want. Absolutely not. That's what we don't. I'm getting better at the transporter thing. But first off, welcome to the show. And how's training camp going? Oh, it's going great. It's going great. Um, my my camp down here is at MMA Masters. There's been a lot of champions go through there. Um, like it's, I get better every day. Like really getting working on my striking and my grappling, becoming a much more technical fighter than before. You're heading into debut fight 
August 6th, on TV. Yeah. What can you tell me about the person that you're going to be going up against? Well, my opponent's name is Celine Provost. She's from France. Um, and that's really about all I know about her. Uh, look, looking her up on uh, Tapology and all, it's uh, she hasn't fought since 2017. So by now she could be an entirely different fighter than, uh, than she was then. But um, I've seen two of her fights on YouTube. Um, and I've seen just like the smallest amount of training footage. I can't even get a hundred percent certain, like what her height is. She's listed as five foot seven in one place, but I'm five, seven and looking at her, she looks taller. I think, uh, she's probably closer to six feet or so, but, um, yeah, it's been hard to find much information on her. Well, give me real quick. What's the book on you? If, like, for example, if I was going up against you, God forbid, what would be the book? What would I have to? What would I have to look out for? Okay, uh, if you were fighting me, you would need to know that I'm a forward pressure fighter. I really like to strike, but since I'm, you know, kind of short in my reach, I uh, tend to try to push you up against the cage and punish you there. We're just going to get right to the question: Why? Why now? Why at age 38? Why take this step? So there are a few reasons. Um, the uh, on, on a personal note, like a selfish note, um, I've always been like a little bit competitive, you know, um, and I got to run a couple years of cross country in college, um, but I never got to finish that out. Um, I ended up transferring and the school that I went to initially wouldn't release me, so I didn't get to finish out my college years running. Uh, so I still got that competitive drive. Um, and yeah, I'm 38, so it kind of feels like if I'm going to do anything seriously competitive athletically, like now's the time. Um, so even though I don't have any amateur fights or anything, like this is why I'm like straight to straight to pro. I don't have time. I don't have time. Every fighter's got an expiration date and I want to do it while I still can. Uh, so that, that's, that's the, uh, the selfish personal side. The uh, other side of it is that, you know, as everyone knows, um, trans folks and athletics has been a hot button issue for some time. And really I want to take up the mantle that Fallon uh, put down. You know, she, she and I have uh, been in contact for a while and um, she's, she's kind of mentoring me through this. And uh, I just, I, I feel like if we want to see more trans athletes, if we want more opportunities for trans kids, um, we're going to have to make our way into those spaces and make it happen. You know, like for, for trans athletes to be able to compete, to fight back against all this legislation, it needs to be more normalized. Um, we need to get athletes in there and show cis people that like we're, we're, we're still human. We're just like everybody else in terms of like athletic performance. I'm not going to go in there, my debut fight and be a complete world beater, you know, like look at Fallon's record. Like she gets misrepresented so much. Uh, they act like she just went through and destroyed everyone. Like there are losses on her record, you know, like, come on. Um, so, so I feel like it's, it's time, you know, it's time for trans folks to be in sports and to be more normalized and, you know, it, it's, it's past time. On a side note, have you had a chance to see any of the Olympics at all? What if, if you yet. have, what have you been seeing? Not, not yet. I, I, I want to, but I've been uh, pretty busy with training camp. And now that we're so close to the fight, things are really starting to ramp up, um, you know. Things are happening. I'm just trying to keep my feet under me. What have you been doing to kind of, in a sense, keep your feet under you and keep your mind focused on the fight? Because you know the press maelstrom's coming. But how have you been? Uh, yeah, I know it? that's coming and it's going to be scary. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the bigger fight than what actually happens in the cage. Um, as, as far as my preparation, um, yeah, mostly it is just going to the gym. 
Uh, I, as far as like mental health and all, like trying to relax, decompress, I, I don't know. Um, I'm one of those people that I really thrive on structure and this training camp has been really good for me for in, in that instance, you know, cause like if I were having to do this on my own without people to be accountable to, without like having a set schedule, I would probably be floundering right now. But, um, the fact that I've got a set training schedule, it gives me something to focus on. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I've got like really bad PTSD. Um, a lot of it from childhood experiences, some of it definitely absolutely exacerbated by my military experience. And uh, I've found that really the biggest part of my, my sort of mental health comes from physical exertion. It comes from exercise. If, if I'm not in the gym every day, like any day I'm not in the gym, there's a noticeable dip in my mood. Uh, it's absolutely critical to my mental health to, to be active. So what are some things that Fallen told you? Uh, in in regards to what to expect, what, oh, uh, yeah. how, how to deal with it, what to get ready for, what were some of the things that Fallen Fox like passed on to you and said, kid, this is what you're, this is what you're getting into. This is what you need to know. Uh, one of the biggest ones was to be prepared for a hostile crowd, um, which luckily for me, I'm not going to have to deal with yet because, uh, you know, the pandemic is still raging. COVID is still a thing. And Combate is, uh, they've, they've been very, taking it very seriously. And during, during the COVID-19 pandemic, they've started holding their, uh, holding their fights in a purpose-built studio with no live audience. So uh, I won't have to worry so much about a hostile crowd until after the fight when I'm reading and, and seeing, you know, all the comments, you know, you know, never to look at the comments section, but, but yeah, so, uh, I actually, that, that was the, that was a big piece of advice from Fallon was to, um, to be as prepared as possible for hostile crowds. And I mean, any, any one of her fights, if you go back and like, look up, look at video of them on YouTube or wherever you can find them, uh, you can hear some really, really nasty things being yelled. Um, yeah. So, that that that's uh that's a big one um yeah it's it's mostly we've we've been pretty focused on just the actual fight preparation for the most part uh in in a lot of ways i'm gonna have it easier than fallon did like let's just be 100 percent honest about that like it's it's hard to know exactly how things will shake out because, you know, um, when Fallon was still fighting, it was before the Trump administration and people do seem to have become more polarized and, and uh, trans lives have definitely been um, more politicized since then. You've probably heard about all the different things that have been going on in regards to all this, all this anti-trans legislation that it just seems like every day there's a new bill What's your thoughts on what's going down? How do you hope to put yourself kind of in the conversation or in the fight, as it were, on this issue? Well, I think that's going to be a pretty easy part. Just showing up is enough to, to put me in that conversation and in that fight. Um, I mean, much like it was with Fallon, I fully anticipate as soon as this stuff hits the news, uh, I'll be the new boogeyman for Fox. Um, Fox News, all the right-wing pundits, you know they won't be able to keep my name out of their mouth as soon as this happens. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm tailor-made to be scary to them. You know, former Special Forces trans woman beating up real women in the cave. You know, it, it's, it, it, yeah, they're going to run with it. I know they're going to run with it. I I am for yourself. Is, is there a party? Is there a little bit of part of you based on what you just said? Who's saying, no, I don't know if I want this smoke. Maybe I need to back off. Is there, is there a part of you that's thinking that? I mean, I, I'm sure there probably is some logical part of my brain that's going, yeah, you should think about self-preservation here, but 
Um, for better or for worse, I have never been one to back down from a fight. Uh, so um, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of itching for it, you know. Tell me about the first day training for this fight. How oh, much of a shock was that? Day one of camp, um, I mean, I, I knew that I was not at my best, but I felt like, you know, I, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to be okay. Yeah, we get in there. I'm jet lagged. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Feel dehydrated. Uh, the heat down here in Miami is, is, and the humidity is like way different than it is in Portland, Oregon. So uh, yeah, I, I go in there. Um, I, I get a ride from Gaston Reno. Uh, Micah Fromowitz is with me. I get out of the. Uh, I get out of the car. And we're walking through the doors and they've got cameras on me, which I was, I'm not sure how prepared I was for that. So there's cameras on me and we go in and start doing warmups. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, some of the warmups for jujitsu and MMA. So we're like doing rolls on the mat mm -hmm. just across the bat. No, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to do, I start doing these somersaults and uh, God, I, I'm, I don't know if it was caught on camera. I don't know if uh, everybody was paying attention or not, but like I ended up somersaulting too fast without taking breaks and got dizzy and I straight up face planted. In <laughs> so uh, not my most dignified moment, but um, yeah, definitely it was, it was a bit of shock that first day getting in there and uh, you know, it, it, it took me probably a week or two to really get adjusted before I started feeling like I was hitting my stride. You are a person who has been, who's, you've been in the ugliest, one of the ugliest crucibles that any human being can be, and that's war. And there's a quote that was in another news source about, the, about this, your decision to go into the army, where you said like, being the savvy kid I was, I knew that approach would fail, and I shot back with a snide comment about getting myself killed in war would be a better alternative than, than conversion therapy. What was that experience for you going through what you saw and what you had to do in Afghanistan? How has that, in a sense, translated to what you're about to do now? Uh, well... In a lot of ways, it's it's making this easier um, because j just from from like a personal safety standpoint, like a lot of people, a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of getting into a cage with another human being and fighting it out. Yeah, I mean, w what it comes down to is with mixed martial arts, it's while it's a fight it's still, it's a sport. There's consent involved. Uh, everybody is coming in with, you know, every, everybody kind of knows where everybody stands. You know, you're, you're coming in at a set weight. You're coming in for a certain amount of time. There's a referee there. Uh, you know, it's, there are rules. And when it comes to warfare, that that's, uh, I mean, sure there are, there are rules to warfare, but it's, it's a very different rule set and not everybody plays by the rules, you know? Um, especially when it comes to, well, I probably shouldn't talk too political, I guess. <laughs> no, you can get political here. Okay. It's, well, it's an open door, it's an open door here. When, when we talk about, uh, war then, uh, my experiences in Afghanistan definitely shifted my politics to the left. Like that, that was definitely, uh, I feel like that's probably a pretty common experience for, or historically, it has been a common experience for a lot of veterans uh, seeing some of the things that some of the things that we do over there, you know. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard to articulate without going into, you know, graphic detail, but I, I feel like all the the money and resources and lives spent over there and bloodshed did we really make anything better? Did, did we help anyone or did we make it worse? I mean, as far as I can tell, we made a generation of kids afraid of the sky because of drone strikes. Um, you know, no, nobody's doing better over there for anything that we did. Well, I, but 
that's one thing that's being talked about in sports as a whole right now is, is in a sense, should sports be used to make a statement? Because just by walking into that octagon next week, you're going to be making a statement. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be making a statement. What, what statement do you want to make walking in? Well, I, I want to preface it. Uh, first, the, the people that say that uh, sports should be kept apolitical, sports, sports have never been apolitical. It's, it's not possible, especially when people's identities are politicized. Uh, I mean, look at Colin Kaepernick, look at just, just historically, Muhammad Ali, you know, uh, black folks, their, their presence in sports has been politicized trans folks like we're being politicized like we don't we don't get to not be political just walking around as a trans woman every day being alive is a political act in a country that's hostile to your very existence so when it when it comes to like stepping into that cage like the message is i'm here and i'm not going anywhere you know a, a lot of the right-wing talking points are like oh this is a new phenomenon these 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 people came out of nowhere like these surgeries are experimental like no <laughs> transition surgeries are over a hundred years old at this point like i mean my story it runs parallel to christine jorgensen and she was a world war ii vet like this is this is nothing new um yeah, I mean, the message is that I'm, I'm here for a fight. I'm here for a fight. Yeah, we're looking forward to that fight. And yep, we're hearing that noise, which means we got to take a little bit of a break, just give love to the sponsors, pay some bills. But when we come back, we're going to get deeper into the backstory. The Alana McLaughlin's road to that octagon. When we come back, I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And we have, we're continuing our conversation with MMA fighter-in-waiting Alana McLaughlin, the, their debut next week for Combate Global in Miami next weekend. That's going to be a, televised via Paramount+. Plus. I'm telling you that it's going to be quite a show. I'm going to be checking it out. You should as well. And... I know hearing all those things, Alana, it probably gives you still a little bit of pause to hear all of those things that does it does it even do you even think about that? Wait a minute, I'm doing all this what? And millions of people are gonna be watching? Am I out of my mind? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely I got the butterflies. I got the butterflies. Um I mean, I've, I've had some amount of public attention before, like much lower level. Uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about like Tumblr, you know, but <laughs> again, that, that, like that, that's, that this is going to be a much bigger, bigger, uh, exposure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm trying mainly to just stay focused on the fight for now. Um, I know it's going to blow up. I'm not sure exactly how big it's going to blow up, but but yeah, I'm uh, I've, I've definitely got a little bit of a little bit of butterflies going on. If you could go back and explain, go back, say about 26 years to a younger you in growing up in South Carolina, how would you explain to that kid what you're about to do right now? You know, that is a good question. I'm not sure that, um, you know, if I were to talk to that kid 26 years ago, I don't even know that it, that that younger version of me would be in a place to even engage with it. Like there was, there was so much going on back then, uh, so much trauma. I really didn't think about much of anything outside of myself back then. Um, it was just a kind of a daily emotional struggle to survive. 
Um, I would hope that anything that a current version of me said to that, to that kid would, would sort of be a bright spot would be um, a beacon saying, you know, this, this is what can happen. You know, there, there is a future because back then I didn't, I didn't think I'd live this long, honestly. Um, And I, I, I feel like that is a sentiment that is all too common for a lot of young queer kids uh, in, you know, especially in rural places and in, in the South, like there's, yeah. Yeah. Growing up a queer kid in the eighties and nineties in South Carolina, I cannot possibly overstate how uh, difficult that was. What was that like growing up knowing that, Something about me is different, but I, but at the same time, not necessarily, maybe not having the vocabulary. What was that coming up process for you then? Um, gosh, I mean, it was, it was difficult. It was complicated. It was, uh, painful. It was always painful. Um, I mean, when you're talking about an environment where, you know, it wasn't okay to, to call someone the F word, you know, like, uh, not because it's a slur against queer people, but because it was really messed up to insinuate that someone was queer, you know, like, and in in queer being a slur back then, like it, I, I'm really happy that it's been reclaimed. Like I I represent that (laughs) as much as I possibly can, but uh, I mean, I still very much remember a time where that was, you know, that word was spat at me with vitriol, you know, in a lot of ways, I would say those experiences shaped who I am today. You know, that that's how, how do you get a trans woman at 38 who's now a professional MMA fighter and former special forces soldier like, well, you shape every part of her life with violence. That that's that's what happens. Looking back on it now, what has your healing process been like? Because I, I've read, read in just doing the research for this, there's a lot of ugliness in there, a lot of trauma, a lot of, abu- a lot of abuse. And that, was before, and that was before you were 20 years old. What has the healing process been like for you? It's ongoing and it's in fits and starts. You know, you, you don't go through some of the traumas that that queer kids do and and not be affected by it like i you know i i have really bad ptsd like my my therapist who i see once a week under normal circumstances like it's been a little interrupted with uh fight camp but but uh normally i i see a therapist at the va weekly because i need to um you know at, at my worst i curl up in a ball in a dark room and don't come out for days or weeks on end. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, he- healing is ongoing and painful. When was the point when you real, when, when it hit you? Then no, this is who I am. This is what I need to do. When did it hit you? God, um, it hit me a bunch of times. I mean, it was it, that that was a constant battle for decades. Honestly, um, I remember. I, th- I think the earliest the earliest experience I had where I saw someone and said, "Oh, that that that's me right there." You know, I I think I was young. I was young. I mean, I I know. You know, uh, a lot of cis people like to focus on the the, the sort of stereotypical trans narrative, you know, the whole Harry Benjamin standards, you know, that, that true transsexual, what, like, whatever. Um, I mean, we all know that's bogus. Yeah. Yeah. It is 100% bogus. And uh, a lot of trans folks feel like they're less valid if they, if they uh, didn't, didn't come to a realization until later in life, but honestly, that is all bogus. I just want to say that first and foremost, but, but for me, it was definitely one of those things where when I was really young, I knew something was up. And the first time that I had a realization where I was like, Oh, I think this is what I am. I think I was actually watching an interview about Christine Jorgensen 
in her old age. I was a young kid the first time I saw that and I was like, oh, I think, I think this is what I am. But then I spent years trying not to be that. You know, I, I used to be told by my family, by my parents that, you know, I made myself a target. You know, I needed to act less feminine. I needed to, you know, don't, don't let my wrist bend. Don't, don't uh, <laughs> switch when I walk, you know. And these messages came from my family, from people at school, from teachers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it was, there were periods of, of my life where I would just swing back and forth, like just the slow, steady pendulum between like hyper-masculine and hyper-feminine. I would do one for as long as I could, and then it would just be, be too overwhelming, and I'd swing back the other way. Um, you know, my, my, uh, I'm pretty sure like in my high school yearbook, there were my, my senior superlatives, you know, people were like, well, you're either going to be, a uh, uh, in the military or get a sex change. And well, was that actually in your high school yearbook? Someone actually, somebody, somebody wrote that. Yeah, I can't remember who. And, and I've actually since burned the yearbook. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a thing. You know, uh, I had, I had a multitude of reputations in high school, you know, um, first it started off like, again, with the bullying, I, I got in a lot of fights because there were people picking on me that I was an easy target, but then I started winning those fights and then people wanted to fight me because I was the person to be, you know, and then, <laughs> So, so yeah, I would just, I would go through these phases where like, you know, for a few months I'm wearing nothing but black and I'm just hanging out with the metal kids and the outcasts. And I mean, honestly, that was kind of the group I ended up hanging with most of the time. Mm -hmm. My grades were suffering. Um, and then I'd go from that to where, well, now I'm borrowing my friend's flares and some low cut shirts and, and, you know, uh, and it just, yeah, yeah. Kind of openly living a double life, you know, just one extreme to the other. Um, I, I know it was, uh, it was definitely confusing for me and I'm sure it confused a lot of people I knew back then too. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I had, I had that realization many times where I was like, well, I know that this is who I am, but then I would just put so much effort and energy into denying it. Um, yeah, Bas basically gaslighting myself the whole time. There's an easy, there's a way to cure this. It's called joining the army. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, keep in mind, like it, my family growing up, like they told me that, like that's what the military does. Is it changes the person? It, it it makes you different. It makes you weird. You know, like um, they'll they'll change who you are as a person. They'll brainwash you. It was sort of my last ditch effort, my my last best hope to make a man of myself, because I I, I guess there was part of me that really hoped that it could happen, that I wouldn't want to be a girl, that I wouldn't want to be trans, you know. But didn't work out that way. Um, now I uh, I have great tits and I can kick your ass. You know? <laughs> That's pretty much how that goes. Isn't that just, isn't that cool how that kind of, kind of works out? Yeah. Yeah. It worked out for the best in the end. I, guess. I can tell you, I like the way, I like the way my body looks. And I like the way I look when I run too. That's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it can be. Now one thing out in the field and wanted to join the Marines, ended up going army. So, yeah, there was a time where I, I considered joining the Marines um, because I'd been kind of pressed pretty hard by the recruiter uh, and because my birth father had been a Marine and because, you know, they have a certain reputation, like they're the most hardcore, like whether that reputation is deserved or not, that, that is sort of the, the uh, cultural idea that we have of the Marines. Uh, so, yeah, I was playing with the idea that in high school um, I was, yeah. I think maybe I was 17. I was basically, I was too young to sign the papers myself. And, um, and my, my mom wouldn't sign kind of made the decision for me because, uh, I was waffling on it a little bit. Um, but the thing about that is that was, 
at, at the time that that happened, I wasn't done with high school yet. And, uh, I guess there was still some hope of me going to college, which, which did happen. Um, and there was less, uh, less fear at that particular moment that I would end up in heels, I guess. I joined the army and I went specifically to go special forces. Like I found that there was a program at the time called the 18 x-ray program. I I'm not sure if it's still in operation right now or not, but it was one of the uh, rare opportunities for a civilian with no military experience to try out for special operations directly. And that, that was the route I went. I figured if I was going to go out, I was going to go all out. Um, and the 18 x-ray program had like a 90 plus percent washout rate. I was one of the very few that made it through to a team. Do you ever wonder like, damn, how did I push through that? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things where, uh, as I was doing it, there were times I would convince myself that like, oh yeah, this is a cakewalk, like nothing that they can do will stop me. Like I, and, and sometimes you have to have that sort of drive that, that, uh, certainty that like, I'm absolutely going to make it through this. And, uh, I was able to maintain that for, for most of it, for, for most of the pipeline. Um, but then there were also times where I was like, well, most of the doubts that I had about making it through had nothing to do with my ability to make it through and more to do with my um, my continuing gender crisis at the time. Because, you know, like when I when I joined the military, don't ask, don't tell was still in full effect, um, not just trans exclusion, but just anybody that was queer could not be military. Um, and, you know, they they called it don't ask, don't tell. But that's a misnomer. That's bullshit. When I signed up. I had to sign a paper that I still have at home in Portland in my files. I had to sign a paper stating that I was morally qualified um, for military service. And that if I found I was no longer morally qualified, I was obligated to tell my recruiters so they could, you know, kick me out. Um, and homosexual activity was uh, not, was something that would make you, would make you no longer morally qualified for military service. So like they say, don't ask, don't tell, but, but no, they, they were fucking asking and you were obligated to tell. And uh, it was a moral failing if you were queer. When you say, when you hear things like that now, again, what kind of thoughts come up for you? Because we hear that now about we don't want them. We don't want them in our sports. We don't want them in our army. We don't even want, really don't want them in society. Anger comes up for me. Same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for the longest time for me, like growing up in the, in the church that I grew up in, in the environment that I grew up in, you know, in the very buckle of the Bible belt down there. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was all shame back then. But uh, as I've gotten older and wiser and I've met other queer people and I've been exposed to other ideas outside of that tiny little box that I was in back then. Like, yeah, now when I hear that, when I hear that stuff, rage, I, I'm enraged. Um, we should we should not have to hide ourselves. We shouldn't have to conform to to things that we're not like. If I had not transitioned, I would be dead one way or another. Um, and, and we should not be, as a society, we should not be forcing people into that kind of decision. Kids should not have to decide if it's too painful to go on living the right way. When was your point when you said, I can't keep doing this, we must start now? Uh, again, it, it happened more than once. Um, I mean, when, uh, when I first went to college, um, I was like, well, I have, I have to start. But at, at the time, like, I, I wasn't savvy enough to know that I could buy hormones online. You know, I was, I was taking the, uh, it, it was, it was like those herbal supplements for postmenopause that they don't actually really do anything but i was getting them at walmart and taking those you know the estrovin or whatever like herbal supplements um 
I, I, I felt like I was getting too old then. I, I was like 18 and I was like, oh my God, I'm too old to transition, you know? And uh, that was what's messed up is that was some of the messaging back then. If you transitioned before 30, you were an early transitioner uh, and late transitioners were like 50 plus. And nowadays an early transitioner, like you actually get to undergo your first puberty the right way, you know? Um, so I'm not sure if I would be considered an early transitioner or a late transitioner at this point, because the, the whole thing, the whole rubric has changed. Like there's just been this whole shift. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it was, uh, I decided I had to do it when I was 18 and then I transferred schools and, and then the army happened. And then as I was, you know, nearing the end of my, uh, term of service my six years in I was like well I have to do it now and then I ended up giving up on it briefly after that and then uh, when I finally actually got in it for the long haul it was 2012 it was like my birthday in 2012 at what point since all these things have gone on in your life through all the trauma through all the pain through Afghanistan through coming back home through reestablish even to now was there is there a point that you or points that you can look at where you say this is the moment where I first truly felt free you know i'm i'm not sure if it's because of trauma and because of the way my brain works um and and the way i sort of process things but I don't think I ever had any very specific moment. Um, for me, it's always just been like, you know, I, I wish I had those like clearly defined like Hollywood moments. Like this is the <laughs> moment where everything would be okay. This is the, this life defining, career defining moment. I, I don't feel like I ever really have those. For me, it's always just this, it, it, it's a slog, you know, it's, it's just a hard fight and uphill battle, no matter what, like you're just every day you're, 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 you're down in it and you're just moving forward as, as much as you can, as long as you can. Um, and I think, I think that's one of the things that's, that's made it really difficult for me throughout the years. Um, it was very much like special forces training was, you know, they, uh, they don't tell you when the end point's going to be, they just tell you to go, you know, and, and that's, that's how it's felt. Um, I, I don't think there's ever been like, there's never been any time where I was like this moment, this is when I know it's going to be okay. It's always been kind of looking back, you know, like seeing where I've been, it's like, you, you kind of have a slow realization of like, Oh, you know, it, it's okay now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm where I want to be, or I'm moving towards where I want to be. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever had that, that moment of clarity, like that crystalline, like set point in time for me, it's all fuzzy. You know, it, it's just been a very, it, it's been a process, you know? Now coming into the home stretch, one thing that, one thing that you told me before we got this interview going was that, hey, video gaming, you, sci-fi, you, fantasy, you, and I could tell you're definitely into the sword thing because, well, you made you made a few of them. Yeah, I've made a few of them. You, you've made a few of them. What, what are, I know you've been busy in training, so you probably haven't been, like, too up on the things currently, but what are the things, like, sci-fi slash geek culture wise that you're grooving to or or like to groove to um well i'm i'm probably uh probably once again aging myself here but uh i've been re-watching some next generation star uh, star trek next generation because i mean it's classic and it's it's what i grew up with you know um been re-watching some star trek i I uh, I still haven't seen the last of the Star Wars movies because like I saw so many people so angry for so many reasons. Uh, I'm just I'm not even sure if I'm prepared to wade into that. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like current current, let's see what, what what's the most 
Uh, like I said, I'm a little out of date. My hey, it's all it's okay. You can be hey, we can get we can go. My back. most recent one was probably Dragon Age Inquisition. I got really excited. I, I liked uh Dragon Age Origins, it was great. I loved the game. And then when Inquisition came out and I heard that there was a trans character, even though it wasn't a main character, I was like representation of any kind at all you know like so so uh i i got dragon age inquisition specifically because i knew there was a trans character um and i've played through that i actually really love that game it's, it's uh not not specifically for the gameplay but for the story you know for me it's it's always it's it's the story um you know i was one of those kids that was into lord of the rings way before that was cool uh, yeah. In fact, when being into Lord of the Rings would like get you beat up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! I can, I can have. I got thrown in a few lockers and dumped in a few trash oh, yeah. cans for like when I like. I get it. Oh, I understand that. But that word representation. Mm -hmm. That word is really going to be bold and underlined when you step into that octagon next week. What yeah. does that word mean to you? In regards to what you're trying, what you're about to do, well, um, I have a couple thoughts on that. One, it's really important. Representation is important. You know, uh, trans kids deserve more than Buffalo Bill as a representative of what being trans is. You know, like they, we, especially when we're younger, we need role models of some sort. You know, we need figures that we can imprint on we need to be able to say hey this is this is who i can be and it be a positive thing um but by the same token representation alone is not enough um it's a step it's a very small step um and i i fear that in our in our current culture we we seem to a lot of the time once representation is achieved oh well that's enough you know like, oh, well, you're on TV now. That's enough, right? You know, like uh, President Obama, oh, well, there's been a black president. That's enough, right? And it's, it's very clearly not. Like, we still have so far to go, so much work to be done. Um, representation is a step, but it's definitely not the end all be all. Um, so if, if I can take this, this step right now, you know, like, Right now, I'm following in the footsteps of Fallon. Like, once again, a black woman led the way. You know, Fallon took that first step. She was the first trans MMA fighter. Um, and now I'm following in her footsteps. I'm not the pioneer here. I'm, I'm not the tip of the spear. Um, I'm just another step along the way. And it, it's my great hope that there are more to follow behind me. It, I, I really hope that... Um, that ultimately what I'm doing here ends up just a footnote because we've got so much farther to go. Somewhere there is some kid, probably 11, 12 years old, struggling as you did. What message do you, would you give that kid right now? I would tell that kid that I know it's hard and I know it hurts and there, there's a lot to be lost, but there is so much more to be gained. And ultimately, it, it, it will be worth it in the end. Like, I, I tell that kid, like, it's really, really hard right now, but push through, just keep going. You know, like, who you are at your core, uh, that... To, to be that individual, to be, what's the word I'm looking for here, to be genuine, to really be yourself is ultimately worth any price. You know, like keep driving forward. It's going to be okay eventually, you know. And while the world can be cruel and our experiences can be painful, one day you'll be strong enough to get through it. Just keep pushing. That also sounds like that looks like sounds like the game plan for the match next week. Just keep Pretty pushing. Much. Keep pushing. 
I'm going to tell you what I'm definitely going to be watching next week. And we want you back here. We want you back in here. I, I'd like to see it become a regular here in the transporter room. And I'm, I'm for it. And I know those of us in the press aren't supposed to root, but trans girl to trans girl, I am rooting for you. Thank you. I, am, I, am I all, really appreciate that. I am that. all in, and I will be the first to admit, I am in the tank. Keep training hard. We're going to check you up next week. Thank you for joining us. Alana McLaughlin here in the transporter room. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to beam you back down. Train hard. See you next week and go get them. Well, do. And thank you, all of you, for joining us this week in the transporter room. And note that if there's something you like about a show, if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we do, leave a comment on our Facebook page. Leave a comment on our Twitter page. I say it often, and it's true. Everything I do at the Transporter Room, I do it for you, the people who support us. So everyone, that's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper. Study as she goes. I'll catch you next week.